0: Here's some brutal honesty stop making excuses or putting your head in the sand pretending there isn't an issue because the stats say there likely is we are profoundly sick society with access to everything we need to be healthy fit and thriving so why aren't we In these episodes we explore topics shown to impact our overall well-being from the latest research and practices that can be easily implemented into our daily lives because sustainable change needs to be simple frequent and consistent hello and welcome to another episode of get miles ahead podcast today's content might be a bit controversial but keep an open mind. It's also filled with some great learnings and opportunities for exploration. So let's dive right in. Today's episode, we explore fasting, intermittent fasting, and the role that fasting plays in many cultures and religions. In our weekly Substack writing, we dive into the idea of cleansing from a few different angles, from a physical body detoxing or cleansing, from a spiritual cleansing or purification process, and from a mental perspective of releasing thoughts and beliefs that no longer serve us. For this episode, we're going to focus more on the fasting element as it relates to mind, body, spirit specifically. But I encourage you to go over and read the Detoxing Mind, Body, and Spirit article on Substack. I'll include the link in the show notes. So what are the benefits of fasting? What are some of the concerns? Why might one even consider this? Fasting has become a trend over the last five to seven years, but It's been around for a lot longer than that, thousands of years maybe, starting as part of cleansing rituals in preparation for spiritual practices in many religions and cultures around the world. And this is still true. It's been part of spiritual practices, whether on holy days or periods of time like Lent or Ramadan, when fasting is thought to cleanse the body and mind to allow participants to be closer to the divine. But also, it's the idea of sacrifice or moving through discomfort in our own bodies and experiences in a way that allows us to be mentally more comfortable with discomfort. It is thought to aid in spiritual practices like meditation and the use of psychedelics. More on that in an upcoming episode of Psychedelics and Psychotherapy and the Use of Microdosing. Fasting is this wide umbrella term, and it covers, for the most part, the reduction or removal of food and or all substances for a period of time. So the period of time varies widely from hours to days to weeks, maybe even longer. So we may do, let's say, a juice fast where all we consume is juice, and we can probably sustain that for some period of time because we're still getting some basic nutrients from the juice. Or a water fast where only water is consumed. And for that, we might not be able to last quite as long because we're, of course, getting hydration, but we're not getting any nutrients. Or perhaps we don't take any intake during a period of the day itself, as is common practice during Ramadan or intermittent fasting, where we may fast for a period of time like 13 to 15 hours or more. Okay, so with the fasting conversation, I feel compelled to say before we dive in a little deeper, that if you have a history of disordered eating, this is not a viable option for you. We want to maintain a healthy relationship with food and eating, so please seek medical support before any food or fasting-related plan. That goes for everybody especially when you start getting into water fast or longer periods of fasting. There are many health benefits to fasting now. It has been practiced by various cultures for centuries. And one of the most common reasons people fast is to lose weight or for weight management. When you fast, your body breaks down and starts to burn stored fat for energy, So dieting without fasting can lead to plateaus and prevent weight loss. This is because of decreased energy and lowered metabolism caused by eating less food. Contrary, fasting has a lot of other benefits. It can reduce your risk of diseases like diabetes, heart disease and cancer, reducing the fat, often the visceral fat in the abdomen, helps to potentially support glucose regulation and thus reduce inflammation. Now, there are many factors that affect this, and intermittent fasting is one of them. Okay, I just want to take a moment right now. I want to introduce you to our new 5 Healthy Habit Hacks Guide. It's a free download that helps you make simple and effective shifts in your habits, which ripple out to shift other habits and affect your overall health. Get your copy now at showupforyou.com. Now, back to the episode, intermittent fasting. Intermittent is about fasting for a period of time each day. Typically, we start with a period around sleep. So let's just say for the sake of argument, you sleep seven to eight hours every night. So if you don't eat three hours before bed, as recommended for a good night's sleep, and you sleep seven hours that night, you're already fasting for a period of 10 hours. Now you hold off breakfast for a few more hours and we move into this window that is typical for intermittent fasting, 13 to 15 hours. Another way of thinking about this altogether is looking at the window in which you eat in the 24 hours in a day. For instance, I eat between the hours of 10.30 and 11 a.m. and 6.30 to 7. I fast the rest of the day. This is what works for my schedule and I don't feel at all deprived if I eat my calories during this window. Others will engage in longer fasts, sometimes limited to once a week or cycling through different eating windows and engaging in longer fasts at different times of the week. It's typically recommended to start with the above 13 to 15 hours suggested and then widening the window of fasting around sleep until people are comfortable with it. Even starting by adding an extra hour around your sleep cycle on either side, so in the evenings and the mornings and kind of working from there. Pay attention to eating in the evening, especially for those concerned about health impacts, weight management, or glucose regulation. There's a few reasons for that. One is being before, right before you go to bed affects your sleep, which of course has a whole bunch of impacts on our overall health and well-being. Many people find that they were more energized and able to focus after a fast. In fact, one study found that people who followed an intermittent fasting schedule lost an average of 13 pounds in 12 weeks. This regimen also reduced their overall levels of cholesterol and triglycerides and improved insulin sensitivity. Intermittent fasting has also been found to help with blood sugar control in people with diabetes, which also reduced the risk of developing complications of the disease. In addition, it has been shown that intermittent fasting can help reduce inflammation and increase overall longevity. Prolonged periods of elevated inflammation are associated with many health problems, including cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, and cancer. In general, intermittent fasting has been associated with better health than any other forms of dieting because it helps to maintain a well-balanced diet and avoid the unhealthy side effects of yo-yo dieting. Now, it's important to note that intermittent fasting alone isn't going to necessarily help you without thinking about what you're eating as well. So it's not only when you're eating, but what you're eating that's really important. Life hackers like Dave Asprey have been promoting intermittent fasting for years. And the person who introduced me to intermittent fasting is Dr. Mindy Peltz. In her book, Fast Like a Girl, Dr. Mindy focuses on the benefits of fasting, especially for women. Dr. Mindy teaches about metabolic switching, which encourages our body to be able to switch pretty effortlessly between burning fat and glucose for energy in the body. She also teaches women how to change how and when they eat based on their cycles as our hormonal needs shift during the month and helping menopausal women follow the cycle of the moon when their cycle is no longer present. She offers a 30-day fasting reset, both in her book and an online community, which includes different levels depending on how comfortable you are with fasting. There's typically at least a beginner and an advanced model. Some key elements may be 13 to 15 hours of fasting, 17 hours of fasting or autophagy, one meal a day, or extended one-to-three-day fasts, all of which are fully supported and, of course, dependent on your comfort, your experience, and your overall health concerns. Another one of my teachers, Dr. Sarah Godfrey, also suggests this for perimenopausal and menopausal women as one of the key ways to maintain health during this life transition, which creates conditions for women that can cause a cascading negative impact on health hormonal changes, glucose and insulin challenges, inflammation, and more that can contribute to metabolic changes and has now been shown to dramatically increase a woman's risk of Alzheimer's. Women are at a risk of two to one to men for having Alzheimer's. In her book, Women, Food, and Hormones, Dr. Godfrey also links fasting with increasing growth hormone. Growth hormone stimulates growth and cell regeneration. It declines slowly as we age, starting at age 30, especially if you experience a lot of stress, eat carbs throughout the day, sit too much and don't exercise often, which, you know, is a large part of the population. Growth hormone is a build you up hormone, playing a key role in building muscles and keeping bones strong while also breaking down fat. Here's a quote from her book. When growth hormone levels are optimal, you can enjoy benefits including weight management, increased energy and stamina, and more. She recommends a 14-10 window, which is fasting for 14 hours and eating within a 10-hour window. Growth hormone, cortisol, and insulin are all interconnected, and when they go haywire, problems ensue. Growth hormone is produced in pulses, mostly at night while you sleep, Another reason why sleep is so important, growth hormone can be improved through eating healthy proteins, eating healthy fats, fasting, exercise, saunas, not intaking any alcohol, and of course supplementation, especially vitamin D, which is needed in over 400 biological jobs in the body. And many people in North America in particular are deficient in vitamin D. This is also another good reason to get out and get sunlight first thing in the morning upon waking for at least 10 minutes. And if you're like me and aren't in a place that often has sunlight first thing in the morning, you can use artificial light. I'm going to share my own experiences as one window into the experience of a 50-year-old woman dealing with common issues and what I did to help myself. It's so important to know that your body is different and what you may need could be completely different than this, which is why you should get medical advice to support you in making these decisions. And as mentioned, get your numbers done regularly. I share this is only an example of how these things can help and support and the wide range of things that are available to support our health and wellness today. I also acknowledge my incredible privilege of living in a country with free healthcare of having health benefits to cover other things, and most of all, the financial means to do these tests, see other doctors, and try these complementary therapies. I recognize this is not accessible to everyone. That said, they are becoming more accessible. Home-based health tests can give you incredible amounts of information, like 23andMe health tests, biome tests, and more. With more of these becoming available, we see the price lowering, making it much more accessible than it had been previous. Measures matter as they give us key information so that we can understand what may be going on for us over time. A functional medicine doctor or a naturopathic doctor will also be able to look at all the numbers together to have a better understanding of what may be happening systemically and not just look at your cholesterol levels, think it's bad because it's not in the normal range, you know, tell you to make some changes in your diet, looking only at that specific thing but it may actually be that the cholesterol levels are a symptom of some other issue. I live in a city where it is almost impossible to find a doctor, let alone one that has the time or willingness to work with me the way I want them to. And so I get the struggle. I think this is why ensuring some of this information about what we can do with our health that is accessible to many people opens up opportunities. So a little bit of a backstory. During COVID, I was actually going through perimenopause and got no support from my then doctor who told me, oh, well, you're getting older and this is just the way it is. This is not an unusual reaction for many people at this time of life. She wouldn't even consider a conversation about hormone replacement therapy and told me I had to wait until I got through it before she offered anything. To say it was frustrated would be an understatement. I was dealing with high anxiety like I had never experienced before, weird mood shifts and significant weight gain that I had never in my life experienced. I was exhausted and brain fog that on most days I could barely function. And all of it while also trying to deal with a heavier workload supporting other people who were struggling with COVID, the isolation. I worked out regularly and ate a whole foods diet. I was doing mostly the right things, but I started to develop weird food cravings, craving sugary foods like i had never experienced before and wasn't really a part of our diet at home. It wasn't until I was desperate, desperate, and reached out to a naturopathic doctor that I've been following on Instagram. Thank you, social media for the good. And she helped me. We did blood work and saw how bad my numbers were. My vitamin D was almost non-existent. It was so low. My inflammation markers were extremely high, and my fasting insulin was through the roof. I was diagnosed with insulin resistance, and of course, I was transitioning into menopause, and so my progesterone was really key to my mood and anxiety management. I went on hormone replacement therapy and some other supplements and medication to get my insulin under control, and over the course of over a year now, I started to feel like myself again. At last count in January, I did my numbers again, and my inflammation marker is now under one. It was over four, and under two is optimal for lower cardiovascular risk. My insulin is still not quite in the optimal range, but definitely lower from the over 180 fasting insulin that it was at. And my vitamin D is now in optimal range, and I continue to do a daily supplementation of 5,000 IUs daily of good quality vitamin D with K. I use Symbiotica, but of course there are others available. The brain fog is lifted, no anxiety, and way more energy again. Now, as I look back at all of the things that I've been doing, I attribute the success to a few things. One, of course, is the medication and supplementations that I received to support my overall health. I started intermittent fasting since the beginning, and at this point, it's almost natural for me to eat between that 10.30 and 6.30 window. I eat a low-carb diet. I'm not keto. Probably sits closer to 50 grams a day, which is a little bit higher than what keto would be, but certainly a low-carb diet, higher in fats, high in good quality proteins, whole foods. I don't eat processed foods, and I do incorporate fermented foods into my diet daily. I have a sensitivity to gluten. I'm dairy or lactose intolerant, and I also have a histamine sensitivity, so I avoid all histamine-rich foods. I exercise and move my body daily. I meditate, and I manage my stress. I take time out to take care of myself every week. I do quite a few other things that I also know kind of helps me, but are a little bit more on the not so regular. Because most of those things that I mentioned, most people can do, with maybe the exception of the medications that I'm on. Most people can make those changes without any cost to them. Some of the other things that I've done. For the last three months, I've been doing regular IV therapy monthly for additional vitamin and mineral support. I also do regular infrared saunas, and I use red light therapy weekly. Now, I try to do this three times a week if my schedule allows it, but I at least do it once a week. And I've also used ozone therapy to support the healing process. Now, more on some of these other therapies in another episode, some of the best biohacks and kind of some of the things that I've learned about it. But I think saunas and if nothing else, contrast showers or water is a really relevant part of a conversation on fasting as it relates to detoxing. Now, I happen to love saunas and steam rooms, and there are so many health benefits in particular to the infrared saunas. But if you don't have access to that, contrast showers is amazing. So even having after your warm or hot shower of allowing for at least 30 seconds, you might have to start with 10 seconds, moving up to 30 seconds, up to a minute or so of cold water to the point that you can kind of manage it and decreasing, I guess, the temperature as you move and the length of time. This can be really effective at building our immunity and lots of other great things on doing cold showers or contrast showers in particular. So one important lesson that I've learned in my journey that I wanted to share was this term called hormone hierarchy. Now, often we focus on balancing sex hormones at different times in our life, but doing so is dependent on being insulin sensitive and reducing cortisol spikes. Now, sex hormones are progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone. Both men and women have it, but obviously in varying degrees. Testosterone is as important to women as it is to men, but men just have more of it. And so we all hear this idea of slow down, self-care, take time for yourself, without maybe truly understanding the health impacts of cortisol imbalances and spikes in our body. Like, it's one thing to say, I should do this, but do you understand the cost that comes if you don't? So let's assume you're in a stressful situation, something happens, your body responds by increasing cortisol the increase in cortisol actually causes the blood sugar to increase. So the body lets out a whole bunch of sugar into your bloodstream to give you energy for that fight or flight response. Now we wait a little while, there's still a lot of blood sugar, but we haven't used it. Therefore, insulin is released by the pancreas. And that is meant to take out the sugar from the bloodstream and bring it back into stores. Those who are on a chronic stress cycle, this can decrease insulin sensitivity over time, or what we call insulin resistance, and which over time can also deplete our sex hormone production. So when we look at the hierarchy, our sex hormones are at the bottom, going up to the insulin, then cortisol, and at the top is oxytocin. Oxytocin has this really important role in this hierarchy. Oxytocin lowers cholesterol and balances insulin levels and leads to better sex hormone production. So how do we get more oxytocin? Well, it's the love hormone. It's about hugs, connection, petting an animal, having gratitude, snuggling, meditation, massages, deep conversations with people, saying I love you. Oxytocin is at the top of the hierarchy and therefore has the power to balance all of the other hormones, and it has a direct effect on the hypothalamus. It tells your brain you are safe, you are loved, and the crisis is over. More on this important hormone and all about connection in our next episode, Get Connected, which will be released on March 7th. And yet again, let's talk about sleep as this essential part of health, and balancing hormones, cleansing the body and restoring. I mentioned it a few times, even in this episode, how you can see how sleep in this time of sleep is so important for our overall health. Another important thing that happens during sleep is autophagy. It also happens during fasting, typically around the 17-hour marks, but some studies show it may take 24 to 48 hours, and how long may depend on your level of detoxing your body needs in order to process. So autophagy happens while we're sleeping, because that's when we're fasting, really, except, of course, if you happen to eat, you know, that big pizza before you went to bed, then you're not actually in a state of autophagy. That means that you're not going to take out the trash so the cells begin to accumulate more and more debris. So what is autophagy? Autophagy is your body's process of reusing old and damaged cell parts. Cells are the basic building blocks of every tissue and organ in your body. And each cell contains multiple parts that keep it functioning. And over time, of course, they become defective and start working, they age out. So autophagy is your body's, basically it's a recycling system. It allows the cell to disassemble its junk parts and repurpose the salvageable bits and pieces into new usable cell parts. A cell can then discard the parts it doesn't need anymore. Autophagy is also like Quality control for your cells. Too many junk components in a cell take up space and can slow or prevent the cell from functioning correctly. So autophagy remakes the clutter into the selected cell components you need, optimizing your cell's performance. Basically, it's like the self cleaning cycle in your body, like our ovens, fasting, exercise, a low carb, high fat diet like ketosis, all can induce autophagy. If we don't do this self cleaning, junk can accumulate, and this can be the trigger in certain diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and cancer. So it doesn't cause cancer, but it may be part of the process that turns on the epigenetics, the code within a person to increase the risk or the potential for the disease. Okay, that's this episode. Get cleansed. In today's episode, we covered Fasting is an important part of cleansing and detoxing the body and mind, which might be suitable for a large number of people, but of course, please check with your doctor and avoid this if you have a history of disordered eating. Intermittent fasting can be a helpful part of a healthy eating habit that supports the body's natural needs and is consistent with how our ancestors would eat as they didn't have ready access to food at 24 hours a day. Intermittent fasting can be used in conjunction with other food-related changes. What you eat is as important as when you eat it. And intermittent fasting can be really supportive to women's health in particular in managing and maintaining hormonal balance, especially if issues are present, like PCOS, infertility, and of course during perimenopause, menopause. Check out the show notes for additional research links, resources, meditations, and lots more. Thank you so much for listening to Get Miles Ahead. On our next episode, Get Connected on March seventh. Please help us out and subscribe at your favorite podcast spot and visit us at milesaheadwellness.com. That's Miles with a Y. Until next time, let's get miles ahead and let your best self lead the way.